Well, it's a blessing to be here today, and you know, obviously, uh, I always appreciate the opportunity to speak, and uh, I'm glad that I could fill in for Howard as he goes on today. But uh, why don't we have a word of prayer? Lord, we just want to thank you for this day, and thank you for this time, and God, I just pray today that you administer to those people here. This may be, you know, maybe some things today we never thought about, uh, some, some things we maybe take for granted, but uh, I hope today that in the midst of a chaotic world that maybe this will minister to people here today, and I pray your rock would do his work in each and every person here because it's you doing the work in us. We commit this time to you in Messiah's name, amen. Well, Howard mentioned a little bit about myself. You know, I do, you know, I do deal a lot with the... Um, the apologetics stuff, and, you know, apologetics is not necessarily uh, apologizing for being a follower of the Messiah. You know, you don't go out and go, I'm sorry for following the Messiah. I'm really sorry. I feel terrible. That's not what it's about. Uh, apologetics does deal with those tough questions, some of the things that people wrestle with in our culture. Uh, you know, when you're talking to people about the Messiah, of course, things they will bring up, they'll bring up questions and objections and things they're hearing on the internet and things out in our culture. Very common. It's been going on a long time. So this message today is going to weave in a little bit of some apologetics and then some applications at the end, some devotional things. You know, last time I spoke, I really didn't do any apologetics. It was strictly just a devotional piece on the Shema, which is fine. But today I thought we'd do uh, talk a little bit about miracles. You may, may say, what the heck? I've never really thought about that this much, and that's why you're here. So this is as good a time as any to go a little deeper on the miracles issue. And I think it's safe to say many of us are looking around the world today saying, when is God going to act? When's he going to do something? You know, and it's a new year. It's 2020. What's the big vision of God's going to give me this year? What's the big thing God's going to do this year? Maybe it's something different. So, you know, when it comes to miracles, first of all, I have to ask everybody a question. Who remembers this song? Who remembers the Jefferson Starship song? Who was around? When did it come out? 1970-something. 1970s? 1970s, anyway. Uh, I was probably about eight or nine years old when the song came out, came out. But I did have a couple of their albums. I got one at, like, when I was, like, 12 years old. But anyway, you remember this song by Jefferson Starship, Miracles? If only you believe like I believe, baby, we get by. If only you believe in miracles, baby... So if I would only, if only you believe in miracles, baby, so would I. So there's a song called Miracles. How about that? And everybody remembers it had nothing to do with uh, the Bible at all, right? But anyway, the point is that it mentions the word miracles. So I just want to just see if anyone can go back that far. Now, if you're an 80s guy like me, they got rid of Jefferson. It just went to Starship, right? And so I, we used to listen to Starship. Now they're no, no longer around. Maybe they are. So the point is that that was an interesting song. But, you know, when it comes to miracles today... You know, we, the Bible is filled with miracles, obviously. I couldn't even, I'd have to do like an eight-week class at MSI on the miracles of the Bible. I mean, there's books and books written about it. You'd have to go through all the ones in the Tanakh and all the ones in the Brikkot Shah and pile them up together. There's so many of them. But there's no doubt that when you think of miracles, that w- whatever we believe about miracles is going to be based on our worldview. Now, I've talked about a worldview before. A worldview is the way we view reality. Uh, it's, it's our uh, foundation, our presuppositions, the way we view where we come from, where we're going, morality, destiny, death, things like that. The big questions are all surrounded, uh, uh, compiled in our worldview. So whatever we believe about miracles and whatever someone else in our culture believes about miracles is going to be based on their worldview. You cannot get around it, okay? So the thing we have to realize is that all of us have a worldview. Now, 
Some of you maybe have taken worldview curriculums or read worldview books. We've done teachings here on worldview. Maybe you're in the midst of working on your worldview. It, could, it is a lifelong endeavor. But there's no doubt, as I said, how uh, we might want to think about how our worldview uh, impacts our approach to miracles, okay? Now, there's no doubt that there are several competing worldviews in our culture today. I don't even have time to go over all of them. Just a few that are out there that are competing with the biblical worldview or the messianic worldview. There's no doubt materialism is still out there. Of course, the materialistic worldview is in the end the one with the most toys wins. It's not true. The one who in the end dies as well. You don't get to get, take the toys with you, as you know. They just stay in your attic or else you sell them. Whatever. They're gone. Uh, individualism, me first. The goal of my life is to make me is to be happy, and God is there to make me happy. Of course, that's some people believe that's God's purpose is to make them happy in life. That's all that matters. Or hedonism, emotionalism, just do what feels good. Of course, that's still out there as well. People just living by what they feel and led by their feelings and everything they do. So there's a lot of worldviews out there that are competing with the biblical worldview. And but the point is that we definitely have to realize that people are taking in so much information on the internet all around our culture, and this is going to impact their worldview. And so, so let's go ahead and give a definition. Now, we need to understand that uh, if God exists, which most people sitting here today already know God exists, or they believe God exists, the God of the Bible, I assume you do. I don't know everybody in here. I know most of you. But the point is that we need to realize the C.S. Lewis quote is uh, just basic logic, right? Lewis wrote in his book, Miracles, not mere Christianity, but miracles, great book. He said back here, he said, sorry, I'm getting used to this. He says, if we admit God, we must admit miracles. Indeed, you have no security. That is the bargain. So basically, Lewis is saying, if God exists, miracles are possible. Obviously, God, if there's, God doesn't exist, there's no miracles. But if God's real, the miracles are actual and possible, obviously. And so let's look at a definition of miracle. This is a nice little definition here, I think. A miracle of God is an extraordinary or a natural event, a wonder that reveals or confirms a specific message, a sign through a mighty work power. Okay, now what's interesting is, let's read that again. A miracle of God is an extraordinary or unnatural event, a wonder that reveals or confirms a specific message, a sign through a mighty work power. That's a pretty good definition, and you know why? The reason it's a pretty good definition is because the Bible uh, actually doesn't, there's not like one word uh, in the languages that just, it's, this means miracle. I mean, actually, it's usually three words that are referred to as a miracle. You've got sign, wonder, and power. And if you go through the Bible and you look at the signs and the wonders and power, look those up, you see in the Tanakh and the Brick, or in the Brick Shah, same three words. For example, Look at Acts 2.22, the bottom there, what Yeshua says. Yeshua is a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did through him, as you yourselves know. Now, obviously, they take that word power there, and they replace it with miracles in Acts 2.22 for the word for power, which uh, can be used for miracles. But the point is that you will see this pattern in God's dealing with Israel and in the Brikhat Shah. those three words pop up, okay, when you think of miracles, Okay. Now, the question is, why is it, uh, you know, one thing we have to think about for all of us sitting here is that there's no doubt that I assume most of us believe that God created the universe, okay? And if God created the universe and created this world, 
That means the greatest miracle has already taken place, okay? It is the greatest miracle. Uh, actually, uh, you know, some people may say it's a resurrection. Actually, I would say if the creation of the world has taken place in the universe, the greatest miracle has already occurred. Now, there was a long time ago, a very long time ago, all the cosmologists thought the universe had always existed. They thought that it had, it was eternal, it just went on and on, it always existed. Never had a beginning point or a starting point. And then at one point in the sciences, they began to see the data came in and they said, well, by golly, the, the evidence looks like we had a beginning point. By golly, there's, there's evidence now that time, space, matter came into existence at the beginning point. And by golly, it sounds a lot like Genesis. All those years, those, those theologians and those Bible people have been saying, in the beginning, God created. And now the cosmological evidence came in and they said, oh, well, hey, it kind of matches what Genesis had said all along. How about that? And so there was a guy named Sir Arthur Stanley Eddington. He's long gone now. He was so upset about this that the universe looked like it had a beginning that he wrote this. He said, philosophically, the notion of a beginning of the present order of the nature is repugnant. I should like to find a genuine loophole, the end of the world from the standpoint of mathematical physics. So basically, he didn't like it. And a lot of them didn't like it when the evidence came in that the universe had a beginning because it sounded so much like Genesis. So the point is that this is the greatest miracle, the fact of creation. And you may say, well, what's a good illustration? That, that slide's a little blurry, but I think you can still see it. It says, we believe that God, of course, brought the universe into existence. God is outside the world, but he still interacts in the world. He intervenes into the world. God is outside the world of nature. That's what God is. He's a supernatural being. But he does intervene into the world. So we believe the greatest miracle has already occurred. So if the greatest miracle has occurred, like Paul says in Romans 1 here, look what he says here. He says, Paul says God's existence and attributes can be clearly seen. Since they have been shown to the unbelieving world, the things that have been made, that means that people should be able to look around the created world and look at the features of reality and say there must be a creator, even though I can't see him directly. I can look at the effects of creation and know there's a God. So that being the case, if the greatest miracle has occurred, then we shouldn't really have a huge problem with some of the other miracles in the Bible, okay? Now you may say, well, of course I believe those things. Well, go Now here's the issue. So if creation is the greatest miracle, and it's so obvious that God created the universe and created this world, what is the alternative out there? What, what, what do people have to believe in besides that? I'll tell you exactly what option they have. They have this option right here. This is the one that's taught on college campuses all across the country. This is what they learn. You are a cosmic accident. The laws of the physics of our present universe arose by chance. The first forms of life developed by chance. The first concept of life developed purely by chance through genetic mutations, environmental randomness. And that is the, uh, the common view that is taught on every campus in this country, as I said. And so when you, someone says to me, or maybe says to you, are you actually a creationist? I, you know what I say to them? Do I, are you saying, like, do I believe that? Is that my alternative? Like, are you saying that, that's, that's what I got going on there? Like, of course I don't believe that. It's, it's ridiculous. I don't believe that at all. I'm like... I don't believe you're a chance accident. There's too much evidence that uh, we were created. Furthermore, do you know the kind of universe we have to have for us to be talking right now? It is not any old universe. It has to be set up precisely for us to have even life to get going on Earth. Books like this, Rare Earth and Improbable Planet, you can't even have any old kind of universe. You have to have the right kind of universe to even get life going on Earth, okay? 
So you're asking me, do I believe that chance pulled that off? Absolutely not. It's ridiculous. It takes a mind, it takes intelligence to pull this off, to pull off the kind of earth we need for us to be in this building today, to be talking and to be living. So I do believe in the miracle of creation, absolutely. But the thing is, it happens, let's go back to Lewis there, is that we now have to say, well, okay, so God created the world. It looks like there's good evidence that God created it. And I know most of you already believe that God created the world. I'm just covering some stuff here. But what about history? I mean, if God created the world, has he spoken anywhere else? Has he decided to speak anywhere else after the creation? Or should we just be deists? You know, just believe God wound it all up. Well, we have to ask, where has God and when has God revealed himself in human history? Has God spoken somewhere within the context of human history? And of course, we believe God has done this with the nation of Israel. Now, you know when you read the Bible, and I read the Bible, when I first read the Bible even, when I first read about the parting of the Red Sea and the feeding of the 5,000 and the resurrection, I'm reading these, these miracles in the Bible, I said to myself, you know, this is, these are like huge things. It's like God is doing huge things in Israel's history. Like, I mean, this kind of stuff. And I remember talking to people about it, and they said to me, do you really believe that? Do you believe that those things happen? Like God parted the Red Sea, and, and, and Yeshua fed 5,000, you know, with the loaves, and then the resurrection. I had people challenge me on that, and people will challenge you today. It'll still come up sometimes. How can you believe those things? And it seems like God, I mean, was doing those big things then. What about today? These huge, huge miracles, okay? Well, like I said, if God created the world, if the universe is created, the greatest miracles already happen, and these would be child's play, okay? They're child's play in the hands of God. If God can create the universe out of nothing and he can set it up precisely for us to be here, he can plan ahead. By the way, we plan all the time as humans. Think how much planning it would take to plan out a universe. This is child's play, okay? This is nothing. God can do anything, okay? He can intervene and do anything. But we need to ask ourselves, what is the purpose, you know, when God is doing miracles in the Bible? What's going on there? Well, you will see a pattern. Every time God raises up a prophet in Israel's history, uh, specific prophets, I don't mean all, I'll, I'll differentiate here. I would say when he raised up Moses, when he raised up Elijah, and he raised up Yeshua, you will see that God always confirms that prophet is a true prophet through signs, miracles, and wonders. He confirms their prophetic authority through miracles. Moses did the signs we know. You read about Moses in Exodus 4 and elsewhere. He did signs, Elijah. And then, of course, Yeshua uh, is the one that does signs as well. What's Nicodemus say to them? He says, you must, you must be the Messiah. You're doing these signs. We have the book of John. It's sometimes called the book of signs. Yeshua just does miracle after miracle in the book of signs. But the point is, God is always confirming new revelation in Israel's history through a prophet. Now, those prophets, like Moses and, and Elijah and Yeshua, are sign prophets, okay? Jeremiah, Ezekiel, some of those other ones, those are social prophets, okay? Nothing wrong with that. But they're not quite the same as Moses and uh, some of these other ones are doing these signs. That's why we don't necessarily see some of these other uh, prophets, a lot of uh, miracles taking place in some of those other books. Not that they're irrelevant, as Peter's teaching Jeremiah, I know he could tell you that. So the point is that God is always doing something in Israel's history. When he's doing something in Israel's history, he raises up the prophet, he does the signs through them, and then he's done, okay? His, that part of history is over, okay? So someone comes along and says, well, you know, I've heard this no less than 80,000 times, by the way. 
well, you know what? I, uh, I really like Yeshua as a social teacher or an ethical teacher. You know, his teachings are amazing. The Sermon on the Mount's amazing. It's got some great moral teachings, but I don't really think those miracles happen. Or maybe those miracles are just symbolic. You know, they're not really factual. They didn't happen. Has anyone ever heard that? I've heard that like 80,000 times, okay? I had a guy came up to me once at High State and said, I don't think it really matters whether he's the Messiah. All that matters is his teachings. You know, he's, he's a great moral teacher. Anyway, no, that's, uh, there's a problem with that because what does Yeshua say here in J- Matthew 11 when John the Baptist is in prison, he's struggling, he's about to be beheaded, and he sends his followers to Yeshua to ask him if he's the Messiah. And what does Yeshua say here? When Yeshua had finished giving instructions to his 12 disciples, he departed from there to teach and preach in their cities. Now when John, while in prison, heard of the works of Messiah, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, Are you the expected one, or shall we look for someone else? Yeshua answered and said to them, Go and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he who does not take offense at me. You see, Yeshua could not just show up and walk around in first century Israel and say, I'm the Messiah. He had to do some things to give evidence that he was the Messiah, okay? He had to actually uh, show the credentials are there, okay? And this is exactly why, if you read through the New Testament, of course, the Brick Shah, you see a lot of Yeshua's miracles pointing, he says, pointing to who he is, right? He says, if you look at me, look at my deeds, look at what I do, this means I am who I am, okay? And his miracles also show the kingdom or the reign of God or the kingship of God is breaking in, right? That's part of the evidence that the reign of God is breaking into human history. Those miracles point to that, okay? So no, it wouldn't work just to say, oh, I like his teachings, but I don't believe in his miracles. Well, why not? Why, why, why don't you believe in him? Why don't you believe his miracles? Perhaps it's because if Yeshua did miracles, he's more than just a teacher, and now you're accountable to him. Perhaps, is that the issue? It's easy to believe in Yeshua as just an ethical teacher. It's easy, right? Because you're not accountable to just an ethical teacher. I'm not accountable to Gandhi or just an ethical teacher. So that is really, I think, what's behind that one. Okay, now, one thing we need to remember is that, uh, you know, sometimes uh, people uh, get confused about what miracles are in some of these other categories. Just remember uh, some of these categories here that, first of all, uh, miracles in the Bible are not anomalies. You may say, what's an anomaly? Anomaly is like a, a freak of nature, something that's very rare, but it's it's like a, uh, an uncommon event. Uh, some, we might say someone's like an anomaly, like someone in this congregation that went back to school and learned the entire Greek language and taught it after age 38. You know who he is? That's like an anomaly. Most of us can't do that, okay? At least I can't. So, or somebody uh, else in this congregation, or like a sports figure. We say, oh, that, that's, he's just an anomaly. He wins all these tournaments or wins, you know, does this or do, does that. So anomalies are, out, anomalies are out there, but that's not the same as a miracle. Now, the other night, a family member of mine uh, on Christmas Day watched the six-hour CNN special on Yeshua, which I happened to see some of it. I actually had some, some good things in it, but he came to me and said, you know, Yeshua was a real magician, wasn't he? He said, he did some amazing magic. He said, man, the magic he did was just amazing. Those, those miracles are just magic said, no, 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 no. That's not what we believe by miracles. Miracles are not magic. It's not the same thing, okay? So some people think Yeshua is just another magician, but that's not what miracles are. He's not another magician, okay? 
magicians are uh, definitely not the same thing as Yeshua. And it's not, psycho, it's not something that's psychosomatic. It's not just like a, a, a believing something hard enough, you know, in your mind that causes miracles. It's not mind over matter. Now, we know in the Bible, Satan, of course, uh, biblically, we know sometimes he tries to replicate what God does. He imitates it and counterfeits it. We know, and also we know in 2 Thessalonians, it looks like there's, you know, that goes on there in that chapter there, that one chapter. So Satan can definitely deceive people into thinking, Miracles are from God, and sometimes he tries to counterfeit them. And then, of course, we have providence, you know, on the far right here. I might say, I need $50 today, and then I'm walking over to Dollar Tree, and there's a $50 bill on the sidewalk, and someone might say, well, that's a miracle. Not necessarily. That's more of a providential issue. But the key is, on the far right, miracles always bring glory to God. They're not for entertainment. Therefore, the purpose of getting someone to repent and believe. When Yeshua did those miracles in the Brit Kaddishah, the goal was that people would repent and believe, not just that they would run around and say, can you do another one? That was so cool. Do another one, please. Do another one, Yeshua. He's not a, just like, they're not done for entertainment, okay? They're always done to draw attention to the one true God and to bring glory to God, and they're supposed to have a lasting effect. And also, they are rare. They are rare events. That's why, you know, someone might say, well, you know, why doesn't God raise people from the dead today? Why isn't Uncle Johnny walking around after he passed away or Grandpa Billy? Well, if that would be the case, then Yeshua wouldn't be very unique at all, okay? The reason he rose from the dead, the reason no one else has been resurrected since him is because he is the unique son of God. God is doing something unique with Yeshua. He's not like anybody else, okay? Very important. So, also... We do know in the Bible that sometimes the miracles don't do anything. We see many cases in Israel's history and in Yeshua's ministry that some people can have signs done right in front of them and it doesn't do anything, right? It says here, what is Luke 16, 31 says, if people don't listen to Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. Or after Yeshua had said this, he departed and hid from them all he performed so many signs in their presence, they did not believe in him. Happened all, see it all throughout the Bible, many cases. In Israel's history, after God did all that for them, of course, we know what happened. They fell into idolatry. So miracles don't always guarantee belief and trust, okay? So sometimes people may say, well, you know, God did all these amazing things in the Bible, these huge miracles. I mean, resurrections and parting the Red Sea, but what about today? I mean, how come we don't see these huge miracles today, okay? Well, if you ever read, uh, if you get hold of Craig Keener's double volume set, which he's been here, by the way, but he didn't do this topic when he was here because he, I think he was writing this when he was here because I asked him about it at lunch and he was working on that book right when he was uh, here last time, but they've been released quite a few years back now. But he documents, you know, in these books, uh, documentation of things that happen like all over the world, like uh, documentation of other countries of God. Uh, God's, you know, just mere, not necessarily partings of the Red Sea and things like that, but just God's interactions with humans, you know, just different documentations of uh, things. It's kind of interesting. So if you ever want to read about that, go ahead and uh, get that book. There's a lot of documentation in that book, and he's a very well-known scholar. But perhaps, you know, we may say to ourselves, well, okay, yeah, Eric, you know, like, I've always believed in the miracles. It's never been a challenge for me. I read the Bible. I believe in the supernatural. And by the way, the Bible doesn't necessarily make a distinction between the supernatural and the natural. Just don't want to throw that out there. 
It's not as if they always were walking around saying, is that natural or supernatural? They didn't really have those categories then. But the point is that what, what does this have to do with us? Well, uh, because as we go into this year, I sometimes uh, wonder, you know, as 2020 hits in the beginning of every year, some of us go to God and we say, well, you know, God, what, what's your big thing for me this year? Is there some new vision or some new thing you want me to do, some new leading, some amazing thing you want me to do? And, you know, I think at the end of the day, we may say to, you know, we may need to be reminded of a couple things in the scriptures about this year that has to do with God's power in our lives. Turn with me to Second Tim, uh, Second Peter uh, quickly, and I'll look at one more. Uh, Second Peter at the beginning here. <clears throat> you know, we come to Second Peter, you know, there's something really profound he says here. And, you know, when we as uh, Messiah followers sometimes are looking for a big thing for God to be doing, like a, the new big thing, you know, like, what's the big thing God's doing? Uh, you know, God, first of all, when he spoke to the prophets and then he raised up the Messiah and the Messiah died and rose from the dead and ascended to the Father, um, God doesn't really, uh, there's no new revelation coming. It's completed, okay? It's done, okay? There's no new uh, prophets coming to have a new revelation from God unless you're Mormon or, or you know, Jehovah, just other spiritual movements that have started, people think that. And that's why we have so much confusion in our culture. I deal with these people all the time. They think God raised up some guy in the 1800s or 1600s or here, and, and this guy started a new religious movement, and that's of God. Well, no, that's not true, because the canon's closed. This is, this, it's closed now. This is, these are the scriptures. God speaks through the text to us. And yes, he can intervene into our lives, but the point is that he's not get raising up like a new prophet and a new religious movement. Yeshua is the final revelation from God. There's no more, uh, no more Messiahs coming, and we know that people say they are the Messiah. They're mistaken, okay? So when it says here in 2 Peter chapter 1, it says here in verses 1 to 3, Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Messiah Yeshua, and those who received the faith of the same kind as ours, by the righteousness of our God and Savior Messiah Yeshua, grace and peace be multiplied to you, and the knowledge of God and Yeshua our Lord seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. Now, there's so much to impact in this chapter, but I want you to see here, he says here, that he has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him, seeing that his divine power has granted, verse 3, seeing that his divine power is granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness. That same word for power there is the same word from Acts 2.22, when it says, you, you know, that word for power, signs, miracles, wonder. That's that same power, okay? So apparently God has given us everything that we need to be uh, a testimony into this world and to demonstrate God's power into this world, right? He's given to us everything we need. We're not lacking anything. I mean, but sometimes I think that we think we're lacking something. Like, I need something more. I need another move here. I need, I need another big hand of God on me. I mean, God can move in your life. I'm not saying that. But the point is, he says there he gives us everything that we need, okay? And it comes through the true knowledge of Yeshua, who called us by his own glory and excellence. Now, keeping that thought in mind, go to one more chapter, go to one more thing here in John 15. Turn with me to John 15. Now, as I went to 2020, I thought to myself as I pulled out my journal and I said, what are going to be my goals for this year and 
what, what, you know, does God have some new thing for me this year, something different? And then it just came to me, as uh, God tends to do that, is that uh, when you come to John 15, you know what the key to this year for me, and I think for all of us, is going to be something Yeshua said in John 15. Yeshua says here, I am the true vine, my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear bear more, more fruit. You are already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away as a branch and dries up and gather them. They cast them in the fire. They are burned. If you abide in me, my words abide in you. Whatever you ask, it shall be done for you. The key to demonstrating the power of God into this world of who God is, is simple. Abide. Abide in Messiah. Abide in him. Remain in him. Remain close to him. And people will see what God is like. They will see the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. They will see when uh, we're impatient. Uh, They'll see patience come out. When we don't want to be loving, they'll see love come out. When we don't want to be gentle, they'll see gentleness come out. When they don't want to see uh, anger or other deeds of the flesh. The point is that the key to demonstrating God in this world today is for us to abide. Abide, abide, abide abide. You say, how do I abide? Well, you got to have spiritual disciplines. It's just that simple. No spiritual disciplines, there's no abiding. We've talked about those disciplines here before. Prayer and the word and community, sharing your faith, fellowship, accountability, all kinds of spiritual disciplines. But the point is that if we want to, uh, you know, sometimes we maybe look for God, you know, why doesn't he do a huge miracle today like he did in the Bible? Well, Uh, Like I said, those are very specific periods of Israel's history. He's confirming new revelation. Now the Messiah has come. He is a final revelation of God, and he manifests God through us, through the fruit of the Spirit, right? And through the work of the Ruach. And so when we abide in the Messiah, people will see what God is like in today's world. And as I said to, um, you know, Henry and I were talking yesterday about this. I said, what an ample opportunity uh, this year, as we know, uh, we're entering into, well, it's already there, but you know, it's already pretty chaotic as we know in our world right now, but what an opportunity this year uh, of what's happening in our culture with all the chaos and the uh, division to demonstrate we have what uh, people need. You know what I mean? When they look to other things that are failing every day and they can say, what do you have? We have the truth. We have the Messiah. We have the worldview that you need. Turn to to Messiah, okay? So we have a golden opportunity this year, I think, to minister a lot of people that are going to be very uh, dissatisfied what's going on in our culture. They already are, but the point is that we need to be ready in season and out of season to talk to those people. So the challenge for us in 2020 is to remember to abide. Let's pray in Yeshua's name. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you, God, for the opportunity to be here, and Lord, we just pray that Day in and day out, we'd abide, abide in you moment by moment, uh, you know, abiding in Messiah day by day, month after month. And we thank you, God, you've given the Messiah to us that we can abide in him and he can abide in us and that we can manifest who you are to others around us. And we pray this all in Yeshua's name. Amen.